Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. A um, couple announcements before we get going this morning. Um, home fellowships, just a reminder. Actually, this week we will be, um, st- we're not going to be doing our home fellowships this coming week. Uh, we don't want to, there's some people that won't be able to make it on Wednesday, and so we decided let's just uh, not do home fellowships this week because we don't want to get anybody off track. So we'll, we'll, uh, they'll pick back up next week. And uh, actually, the holiday schedule is such that the week of Thanksgiving, the week of Christmas will actually, is it echoing or is it just me? I thought it was. Is there a weird echo there? But anyway, maybe it's got some effects on it. I think it might. But, um, well, it just adds to the experience, right? So, uh, but Home Fellowship's actually the week of Thanksgiving will uh, actually, we won't be meeting the week of Thanksgiving or the week of Christmas. So you can put that down on your calendars. But if you're not in, involved in a home fellowship, get involved. It's been awesome. It's been a great time. Pretty much Wednesdays and Thursday nights, there's a home fellowship board directly outside the sanctuary here. And you can grab one of the sheets. It'll tell you where the home fellowships are. And you can connect with the people there. And that's a great way to get to, to meet people and a great way to uh, be encouraged in the Lord and to grow in your faith. So make sure you get involved in that. Uh, also, man coffee, you know, rather than as opposed to women coffee, there is a man coffee on Wednesday mornings here at the church at 6.30 a.m., and uh, we have uh, Mike Mondary is leading that, so 6.30 to 7.30. Guys, if you can make it out for that, come on out. Also, there's a, we're, we're continuing through the month of October, a canned food drive uh, that will be donated to uh, a local uh, food pantry here in Columbia. So if you're interested in that, it's actually sponsored by IMAX, which is right across the, or Title Max across the street over here. So we put a little display thing out here for it. And also, um, if you're interested in serving in any way, we we need servants in the uh, media sound area, also in children's ministry. So let us know if you're interested in that. And if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. right? At least somewhat, so you can read ahead. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in, this, in the land. Fathers, do not promote, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful, God, to have 
the word of God on our laps this morning, God, to be able to open up your word freely, to be able to gather together in a place, Lord, and worship you freely. So oftentimes we can take it for granted, Lord. We ask you today to help us not to, Lord, to, to just truly uh, be thankful people that we can come into this place and hear directly from you. So we ask that your Holy Spirit come, teach us, Lord, show us how to interact with these various relationships that we have on this earth, that we would honor you and praise you and all glory be to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a two-part uh, sermon that I entitled, Walk Submissively, Walk Submissively. And, and Paul, in chapter 5, verse 21, if you were here a couple weeks ago, he opened up Pandora's box, right? He said that all believers everywhere are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, the word submit is a military term. It means to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader literally to fall in rank, right? If you were, you're under a commander, you need to fall in rank under that commander, therefore he's your leader. Now, in a non-military use of the word, it is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming res uh, responsibility, and carrying a burden. So, and I said last week, it's a voluntary required action. Well, what is that? Voluntary required action, that seems like an oxymoron. It's sort of like, when your mother or, or your wife uh, actually tells you to clean, hey, would you please clean your room? That is, that is a voluntary required action on your part. You have to do it, right? It's really command, but it's formed in, in a way that you can feel good about it. Like you can say, okay, I get to contribute to this. I'm doing this voluntary. Really, you're not. It is required. So, yes, positive manipulation. There you go. That is true. So, uh, you know, it's, it's actually one of those things that we're commanded to do. We're called to submit one to another. We're called to fall in rank, right? We're called to literally lay aside our rights when we come together as a body of Christ and we are called to submit to one another. And that's a beautiful thing when it's done correctly. The problem is, it's this that word submit, isn't that the issue? Really, at the end of the day, it's, it's me having to relinquish my rights to please you. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, right? But the Lord says we're called to. And so if Paul makes it actually even, a, a, the, the, he, he steps it up by, by, by telling us why it's important. And he says, it's out of reverence for Christ that you do these things. Out of reverence for Christ. You're not doing it because, you know, you get something out of it. You're doing it because you respect Jesus, you fear Jesus, that you are honoring him when you do it. It's, it's a command that demonstrates your reverence for Jesus Christ. How important is that? Very, very important, right? Paul goes on to talk about three different relationships that we're called to submit to. And really, from pretty much chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, it should flow as one. Now, because we don't have time to uh, do this all in one setting, we, we broke it up a little bit. But really, if, if, when you read it in context, you should pick it up. Chapter 5, verse 21, read, submit one to another as to re out of reverence for Christ, and then go right into these three different relationships 
that he's talking about. First, he talks about the marriage relationship. And if you were with us last week, you understand the, the, the husband-wife, wife-husband relationship as it, as it was laid out for us in chapter 5, verses 22 through 30, 30, 33. Then we find the family relationships, which we pick up in chapter 6, verse 1, where we look at the, the child-parent relationship, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And finally, we look at the employment em, uh, relationship, the, the employer-employee-employer employee, employee relationship in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It says bond servants and masters. Can be also translated employees and employers. So that's how we'll look at it today. Now, if you recall, in marriage, there were two people and two commands. Very simple. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Super simple. God didn't make it complicated, right? And yet we have books and seminars and all kinds of things about, you know, that spend weeks and, and, and months and years on how to do this. When it's very simple, Paul tells us, the only way that it's possible for you to do this, back to chapter 5, verse 17, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no seminar that will get you there. It is, now, under, I'm not, not undermining teaching. Don't, don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, is that the only way that you and I are able to fulfill our role in the marriage relationship is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wives, the Bible said, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the result of the fall of man is that you're going to want, you're going to pine for your husband's position. That's just the way it is. You were born into that situation, but Jesus Christ on the cross broke that bondage. You're no longer under that bondage. Now you can freely submit to your husband. But it's, it's a, not a simple thing because it requires you to lay down your rights. Husbands aren't off the hook either, right? They are also called to submit in the way that they love their wives. You know, we talked about it last week, sacrificially. Jesus Christ laid down his life for the church. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Literally, be willing to, to do anything and everything you can for her. And so we looked at that last week, the marriage relationship. And as we move into uh, the, the family and the employment relationships here today, listen, the the accomplishment, the, the ability to do these things all comes back to the same thing, the power of the Holy Spirit. Children, obey your parents. Well, how can I possibly do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, employees, you know, obey your masters, right? And bond servants, obey your masters. How can I do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that we need. And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning is that the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, the employee-employer relationship will never be what it's supposed to be if you don't obey the word of God. It will never become what it's supposed to become if you don't obey the word of God. Now, now, some of you guys in your marriages have worked it all out. It's all good for you. You know, you're not living according to the word of God, but you're okay with each other. That's still not okay with God. He's not interested in your peace amongst each other. He's interested in your obedience to the word of God, right? It's not just simply about me trying to find a way to make it work um, between man. It's we're called to do what the word of God says out of what? Reverence for Christ, right? That falls back into the same thing 
that you know the same idea as it relates to the child parent relationship and the employee employer relationship so i've outlined the first uh, nine verses in chapter six in, in a way uh, that was so complicated to put on a slide i did put it on there but I figured I'd print it out for you because it'd be a little easier. So you may have gotten that uh, when you came in the door, but let's just run through that real quick. So we find uh, the family relationship. There's two commands for children. There are also two commands for fathers. First, children are to obey their parents, and that obedience is found two specific ways. First and foremost, how they're to obey and secondly, why they're to obey. Then we find the second commandment for children, which is to honor your father and your mother, which also comes with two promises, a promise for personal prosperity, and secondly, a promise for personal longevity. Then we find uh, two commandments for fathers, a, co a negative commandment, literally, do not provoke your children to anger, and then a positive command to bring them up. And that bringing up is accomplished in two specific ways, discipline and instruction. Then we move on to the, the bond-servant-master relationship, which is there's one commandment for the bond-servant or the employer, and that is to obey your masters or your employer. And then uh, that obedience is twofold, external and internal, and it's followed up with a reward. Then we go on from the ma to the master, uh, to the employee, and there's two commandments there. And then finally, we have the why of it all. So that's the outline for today. I know you probably are glossed over by that, but I like doing it. So hey, praise the Lord, right? So here we go. We're going to look at first and foremost, the child-parent relationship. Look with me at verse one, where, where we find the first commandment. Children, obey your parents. So what does it mean for children to walk submissively? Uh, it means that they are walking in obedience to their parents. Children, if you want to be submissive to the Lord, if you want to be in reverence to God, then you need to simply obey your parents. And all the parents said, amen, right? Yeah, because here's the thing. When that is working correctly, that relationship is working correctly, it is a beautiful relationship, right? But when it is not working correctly, and it goes both ways, but we're looking at children right now. When children don't obey their parents, when fathers provoke their children to wrath, when they, they don't do the right things, they don't bring them up, instruct them, discipline them, what happens is this relationship becomes a train wreck. And the reason it becomes a train wreck isn't because God didn't tell us what to do, it's simply because we didn't want to obey what he said. Now, here's what I will tell you. It's work, right? It's work on both ends. Children, to obey your parents is work. It requires self discipline. It requires self-control. Where do we get that? Through the Holy Spirit. We get it through the Holy Spirit. We are, children are called to obey their, their parents. That, that command is emphatic. You must obey your parents. It, it, the, the idea of obedience means to listen intently. It means to, 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 to be aware of what's going on. It literally is describing a soldier that is engaged in a battle and he's listening carefully for orders and for instructions from his commander, it literally can save your life. And we saw this happen one time. My son was running through a parking lot and uh, 
my wife saw a car coming down at a high rate of speed down one of the, you know, drive, the drives, and my son was right, darting through a car, through cars parked this way, the car, the car was coming this way, and it, it was going to happen. It, the car was going to hit my son, and my wife said, stop! And my kid went right at the door of that car. If he wouldn't have been obedient to his mother, he probably wouldn't be here today, or he'd been severely hurt. Right? He would have been severely hurt. So it is potentially life-saving for children to obey their parents. But, but more than that, it's reverent to Christ to obey your parents. Now, when do, when, when do I obey my parents? Always. Unless they ask you to do something unbiblical, immoral, or unethical. Because God's commands outweigh any earthly command. And so that is the only context in which somebody can, you know, be right with God and not do what he's commanding in this, in this situation. Same thing with the wife and husband situation. When do they not submit to their husband? When he's asking them to do something unbiblical, immoral, or unethical. Now, listen, it's not easy for children to do this. We understand you're born with a nature not to do this. Like you're born in this world to not obey your parents. You're born in this world to be, be, a, be a rebel, right? I mean, that, that's the way that you were born. And in fact, as you get older, you start to become wiser, right? And you realize your parents are complete morons, right? And you realize they have no understanding whatsoever. So of course you become more intelligent than your parents until you're about 30, then you realize that your parents actually know what they're talking about, right? So we understand it's difficult. And listen, parents sometimes don't make it easy either, do they? Sometimes fathers don't make it easy for their children to obey. But you still need to. It's not conditional. This is not a conditional command. Just as, just as well as the wife submitting to the husband, it's not a conditional command. It is an unconditional command. You're called to do it regardless of how you're being treated, right? You're called to honor God above everything else. So it, it is a, is a condition, it's not a conditional thing. The obedience that God is calling children to in this situation is twofold. It is, first and foremost, we, we see how they're called to obey and then why they're called to obey. First, how. Did you see what it said there? It said, children obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. That word there in the Greek, you can circle it in your Bible. You can make a note out to your margin or wherever you'd like. In the Greek, it is the, the word en. And literally, it means indwelling or with you. The concept is that the Lord is with you, that he's in you, that he is indwelling you. Who indwells us? The Holy Spirit. The how to a child obeying their parents is found in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. You're in the Lord. And if he, you were in the Lord, then you're not living for yourself. You're living for him, right? So you're called to be obedient uh, to your parents then. In the Lord. That is the how. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 says this. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. 
the Lord knows we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do this. So what does he do? Gives us what we need. God is not calling you to do something you cannot do. He gives you the power to do it. Children, how are we called to obey? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are we called to obey? Continue on. Look at verse 1 there. For this is right. Because it's right, literally. It means correct, just, proper, righteous. It's exactly as it should be. When children are obeying their parents, it's exactly as God designed it to be. It's the way it's supposed to be. Children obeying their parents is a matter of rightness. Listen, God designed the world to operate that way. And because he's creator, he gets to dictate to us how it is that we're called to interact with one another. And he says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Now, when do children stop obeying their parents? When does it happen? The age of accountability, is it just kind of, you know, <laughs> they, they turn 12 years old and they're kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to obey you anymore. Actually, contrary to popular belief, that little adorable, cute little baby that you think is sinless when he or she comes into the world is, we better turn that down a little, is in fact a little devil, a little sinner. They are. They stop obeying you the moment they're born. And in fact, mothers, they're disobeying you in your stomach. Stop moving around. I'm moving around. I don't care what you say. And in fact, if kids could talk when they came out, they would literally rip you upside down and the other because you didn't give them that, you know, whatever, peanut butter and pickle sandwich or whatever it is that they wanted, right? Children don't stop disobeying you. They actually start obeying you at some point in their life. And we pray that it happens early. We pray that they're filled with the Holy Spirit early, that they are able to do that. Why? Because this is right. It is right. And through God's help, he can help you to do that. Now, that's command number one for children. Obey your parents. Child, command number two, children, honor your father and mother. The word honor there, it literally means to value highly or to hold in highest regard and respect. Children are to honor their father and their mother always. Unlike the command to obey your parents, once a, once a, once a husband or a wife or once a a man and a woman decide to be married and they leave their father and their mother, they leave that command post. No longer are they falling under the rank of their parents. Now they fall under the rank of the husband-wife relationship. Right? But before that, you're under your parents' authority. But when you leave your father and your mother and you cleave to your husband and wife, at that point in time, you're under the headship of the husband. And so there comes a point in which you're no longer under that command for your parents. However, when it comes to this command, you're ne it's a ceaseless command. It's till death do you part, you're called to honor your father and your mother. Some of you need to call your mom and dad today because you haven't been honoring them as adults. And I, I need to call my mom. I'm sorry, mom, I'm sorry, you know. But honestly, for real, this is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it is 
the first of the six commandments that deal with the relationship between man to man. You remember the Ten Commandments are split up into two different parts. The first four commandments are dealing with man's relationship to God. The first four commandments. The, the last six are dealing with man's relationship to man. And the very first commandment in that man-to-man -man relationship is to honor your father and your mother. The Lord thinks this so highly, that it thinks that this is so important. And because it illustrates such an uh, it illustrates this idea of authority and the headship that God's put into the, the, the world for us to illustrate his headship, right? It's so important that it's the first one in the man-to-man -man relationship, right? He's very serious about this honoring your father and your mother. But we only do that if they honor us, right? Again, it's not conditional. It's not based on you being honored. You're called to honor and it is out of what? Reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Out of reverence for Christ. Now check this out. When you do this, when you honor your father and your mother, there's a promise that comes with it. There's a, there's a promise that comes with this command. Now every command that is obeyed, there's a blessing with it. There is an automatic blessing that just comes. When you're obeying God, he blesses you. He, he, he is, he, not that he doesn't bless you when you're not, but he blesses you. There is this circle of blessing in your life when you're obedient to the Lord. In this particular case, there are two particular things that happen when a person obeys this word that says, honor your father and your mother. Number one, we see that it's a, there's a promise for personal prosperity in the fact that it says in verse three that it may go well with you. This comes, this actual, this actual blessing comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, when Moses was preparing to send, uh, take the children of Israel into the promised land, and he said this, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you, that it may go well with you in the land. That, that, that's a promise of personal prosperity. God is saying, I will bless you in the land if you obey my command. That's like a poetry. I will bless you in the land if you obey my command. That's what he's telling them. There is a, you know, there is a blessing in the land that flows with milk and honey if, conditional, it's a conditional promise, if, you honor your father and your mother. Secondly, we see it's, there's a promise for personal longevity. Continuing on in verse 3 there, it says that you may live long in the land. Not only are children going to enjoy this personal prosperity, but also personal longevity. That you may live long in the land. What exactly does that mean? Is God guaranteeing me that 120 years that he said I would have? Uh, no, he's not. In fact, Living long is relative. If you look in the Old Testament, living long was hundreds of years. In fact, Methuselah lived somewhere around 968 years or something like that, right? Uh, you know, we live today on average about 70 years. You know, what, it's, it's, it's relative to the time period. But also understand that the Bible also tells us that time is relative. To the Lord, uh, one day as is a thousand years. So ultimately what I'm saying to you is that it's not necessarily about 
length in time. You will live long. It's a promise. What it means is God will not cut your day short. How about that? He won't cut your day short like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They had their days cut short. Why? Because they sinned against the Holy Spirit. They lied. And the Lord, they caused them to drop dead on the floor. Boy, if that was the capital punishment for every liar, we would all be dead right now, right? Thank goodness the Lord is gracious. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, what about uh, Nahab and Abihu? They also died when they offered strange fire to the Lord. What I'm saying is that there is a blessing of life in obedience. There's a blessing of life in obedience, and that's what he is saying here, that they're, 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 they're offered personal longevity. And again, why do we do it? Because we're, we can gain all these promises. That's why we do it. Wrong. We do it out of reverence for Christ. The fact that we gain something from it is secondary. It's not the primary reason of why we do it. We do it because the Lord's called us to do it. Amen? Next, we find what it means for fathers to walk submissively through two commands, one negative, one positive. There are do's and do nots in the Bible, 618 to be exact. 618 do and don'ts in the Bible. The Lord says to fathers, there, are, there is a do and a don't. First, we're going to look at the don't, the negative command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is a negative command specific to fathers. It doesn't say mothers. It says fathers. Does it mean parents? Yeah, you can apply it to a mother, but he's speaking specifically to fathers here because in ancient biblical days, the father had supreme reign in the household, not just over slaves, but also over his family. And oftentimes, he would use his authority and his position to mistreat his family, to mistreat his children, to sort of, you know, lord over his authority over his family. So Paul is saying, fathers, the head of the household, the, 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 the priest of the family, you make sure that you do not provoke your children to anger. These guys back in this day would treat their children like possessions, not prizes. They would treat their wives like possessions, not prizes. And what Paul is saying is, listen, children are a blessing from the Lord. They're not your possessions. God has entrusted you with them. He's given them to you as a blessing. Maybe it's in disguise. That's, we'll, we'll have to wait on that. We'll, we'll see if that's really the case. But nevertheless... We are, see, I, somebody got it. It's awesome. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, but, but we are called to look at our families as prizes. Are you prizing your family today, Father? You prizing your children? Are you provoking them to anger? Are you jabbing at them? Are you prodding them? Are you taunting them? That's what he's saying. Don't do that. It's easy to do that. Why? Because you have authority. You have power to do that. Don't do that. Be a good father. Paul says, that's the don't. The do is this. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't taunt them. Don't provoke them to anger, to wrath. Rather, teach them, instruct them, correct them. That's what he tells them. The positive command is for them to be brought up, to bring them up. It's only used twice in the Bible, that word there. 
to bring up, and it means to rear up through nourishment and feeding, to take care of. Now, contrary to popular belief, fathers, that is your responsibility. You might think that's your wife's responsibility. Oh, she, she takes care of the kids. I, I don't really do anything with that. You know, No, no, that's your responsibility. Yes, you're partnered. Your wife is probably, in most households, it's changed over the years for sure, but in most households, the father is at work during the day. The mother may or may not be at home with their children. But that does not relinquish the responsibility of a father to bring their children up in discipline and instruction. It's twofold. You're called to do two things. Discipline and instruct. First, you're called to discipline. That word means to train someone in accordance with proper rules of conduct and behavior. To train them. To discipline them. To train them. Paul says, I beat my body into discipline. What? To be obedient to me. I, I have, there's discipline involved in obedience, folks. There is self-denial involved in obedience. Fathers, you're called to train to discipline your children, to train them up. What does the Bible promise us? Proverbs 22, verse 6, right? Train your child up in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Fathers, that's your responsibility, to train your child up. It's a requirement if you want to yield an obedient heart. Now, anybody can get a kid to be obedient externally. Just surely by your power and your strength and your stature, you can get a kid to obey you externally. That is not the point. The point is to get a child to obey you internally. To, you, you're called to, if you've ever read the book, and I recommend it highly, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's all about getting to the child's heart. You can get them to change externally, and that changes nothing. It changes your maybe peace in your home for a moment. I don't have to deal with that disobedience anymore, but you're called to target the heart. What is the root issue of that behavior? Why is my child doing what they're doing? And then I teach into that. I correct them first and foremost. How do I correct them? Oh, you give them a swift, what? How about correcting them with the word of God? Yes, of course, spare the rod, spoil the child, for sure. However, Discipline comes in a, in a whole bunch of different ways. And I would say that the word of God can do far more than any external discipline you can put on your child. That's how you capture your child's heart. You have to help them understand the why of the what. Why am I supposed to do this? I don't understand. Because God, God calls you to do this. You see, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, son, it says, children, obey your parents. And, if you do, and then you begin to teach them about why that's important. Yes, you discipline them. I'm going to discipline you now because you know, of this wrong act, but I'm training you so that you won't do it again. The discipline, in, in a physical sense, is just a reminder for the next encounter of the temptation that they'll have. But if you change their heart, you've won the battle. You've won the battle. And you can't change their heart. Only God's word can. And so we depend on God's word to do that. We need to discipline our children. God disciplines you, does he not? God disciplines you. Does God not primarily try and get your attention first? Does he try to be gentle with you when he disciplines you? Of course he does. He's a loving father. You know, he will get your attention in other ways, though. You ever had a spiritual spanking before? 
The Lord gives spiritual spankings. He, 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 he puts us in circumstances, negative circumstances oftentimes, that are painful circumstances. Why? So that the next time you encounter that temptation, you don't, you remember the pain and you say, whoa, whoa, I don't want to do that again. That's the point of a spanking, by the way, to remember the pain so they don't do that again. God will give you a spiritual spanking, but why does he do it? Because he loves you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. You're called to discipline your children. You're not called to get angry with them. You're called to discipline them. I learned something early on in my um, stent as a father, you know, about this idea of helping my children become obedient and, and all this kind of stuff. And I learned that it can't come by my way of wrath. And in fact, it was a verse that I memorized early on in my, my fatherhood, James chapter 1, verse 20. Maybe you need to write it down today. It says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can get as angry as you want with your child. That's probably not going to change their, their outcome. It's probably not going to change how they react to you. In fact, they'll probably resent you. It probably won't, won't, won't respond. It, it'll probably create a negative response rather than a positive response because the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. You understand? Your anger can never produce a sinner to become righteous. The blood of Christ can. The word of God can produce that, but you and your anger cannot. Beware. Be careful. Don't let anger take control of fathers. Teach your children. Discipline them out of love because that was, is what will change their heart. Not only are we called to discipline, but we're called to instruct. This word means to provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. What's the best way to train somebody? What's the best way to instruct somebody? With your own life. By the way that you live. By being an example. By demonstrating what it looks like for them. Paul said to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers, uh, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. How was he called to instruct them? With his own life. Peter speaks to a very discouraged group of elders in the book of 1 Peter, where they're being persecuted, and they are fleeing, and they're, they're probably really at this point wondering, God, what are you even doing? I don't even understand this. And Peter says this to these discouraged leaders in the church. 1 Peter 5, 3, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, listen, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't be the kind of instructor that teaches by word and not deed. That's what he's saying. Don't be the kind of instructor that teaches by do what I say, but don't do what I do. Why should I do that, Daddy? Because I said so, but you don't. Uh, be the kind of instructor that trains your children by your life. 
It will be far more powerful than anything else that you could ever do. Instruct them in the word of God, yes. In word, for sure, but also in deed. You will be far more... uh, You'll be far more... I can't even think of the word. I'm trying to think of... Successful. Hey, all right. We're all awake here, folks. It's all good. There we go. Thank you, Byron. We'll be far more successful doing it that way. Right? At least you're staying on track, man. Listen, your children are watching you. And do you know every moment is a teaching moment in your life? Oh, let me write that down. Your microphone is always on. You know that? Your microphone's always on. The camera is always on you. Somebody's always watching. Your children are taking notes. When, when things aren't going my way and I, I, I respond out of anger and I start throwing stuff, blowing up, and then I start verbally abusing my wife in front of my kids, and you think they're going to start doing that? Yeah, they are. Why? By example. That's what happens. So it's just as equally important for children, yes, to obey their parents, but also fathers, be careful by the way that you live your life. You will train your children up far in far more ways than you know by, by the way that you live your life. You will instruct them in those ways. That's it for the parent-child relationship. Now let's look at the bond-servant-master relationship or the employee-employer relationship. This applies to both. Now first we'll look at the bond-servant, verse 5. Their bond-servants obey your earthly masters. A bondservant is a slave. Somebody who has no rights. They aren't in control. They are subservient. They are in control by somebody else. Somebody else has total authority over them. Sort of like an employee. What do I mean? Well, do you do realize that when you take a job for somebody, that you've sold them your time, right? You've made a contract with an employer and you've said, I'll give you my time, I'll give you this much amount of time for this much amount of money per hour. I will give that to you. And in that period of time, in that contract that you've made, by the way, that you've signed on, that you accepted, you say to them, I'll do what you want me to do. Unless, of course, it's something I don't want to do, (laughs) then I won't do it. No. That's not the contract. The contract is this. I will do what you want me to do for this amount of money for this period of time, right? That's the way that it works. So oftentimes, when we become employees of somebody and we get into their workspace and we've contracted and we're okay with you know, the upfront situation because we obviously took the job, and then they start doing things that we don't like. I don't like doing this. I can't believe that they're asking me to do this. Who would do this? All, the, all this kind of stuff, you know? And here's the thing is, you're called to obey your employer. You're called to obey them. You're called to relinquish the rights. Unless, okay, where, where's, the, where's the fine line? Where's the point? Again, unless they're asking you to do something unbiblical, immoral, or unjust, you're called to obey. It's not, it's, it's not, uh, conditional. You're called to do that. Now, you're, you're free to leave that job and go get another job, right? 
go for it. You can contract with somebody else. However, the same requirement is true. It doesn't matter where you go or who you work for. Listen, you're called to be obedient. You're called to be a good, uh, you know, employee that does what he's supposed to do, she's supposed to do. If, they, if, if your employer asks you to go into the break room and take all the salt containers in there and fill them up for hours on end, guess what? Do it. And do it without complaining. Don't complain about it. You contracted with them to do it. This is ridiculous how these guys are doing this, da-da-da-da-da. And you know what? Listen, what does the Bible call of you to do? Just be obedient. Why? There's blessing in that. Number one, you're honoring the Lord. You know, if God wanted you to be the manager, guess what? You would be. But he didn't put you there, did he? So if he didn't put you there and he put you where you are, then maybe you should serve in that area. And I promise you, if you do it right, if you live in that relationship correctly and you follow what the Lord wants you to do, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. The Lord will, will honor your obedience. And he will, you know, and it'll come in a couple different ways. How are we called to obey? How should we obey in this employer-employee relationship? Two ways. First, it's external, and then it's internal. First, it's external. Listen to what verses, uh, the rest of verse 5 through verse 7 says. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Oh, man, did Jesus just, or Paul put it right the same way Jesus put the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? It's not about simply the external. It's about the internal. It's both. You have to be obedient on the outside and on the inside. First on the outside, externally, with fear and trembling. There needs to be a healthy respect for authority, and that is the problem in our day and age, folks. There is not a healthy respect for authority. People don't respect authority. I mean, you know, granted, authority's been abused, and I understand that, and I, I understand that argument. But, but just because authority has been abused doesn't mean I abuse authority. I don't abuse those in authority, right? Does that make sense? We have people that are fighting against the law enforcement officers that are <laughs> fighting to save your lives. Now, that's a conversation for another day. I'm just saying that have some, some police officers misuse their authority? Probably. Yeah. But does that mean that all police officers misuse their authority? No. Well, what am I supposed to do? My Bible says I'm supposed to submit to the authorities that God put me under. That's what my Bible says. So even though authority is being abused... I don't relinquish that. I still continue to live under that authority. There needs to be a fear and trembling. Listen, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men. That what it, that's what it means to be externally obedient. That, when, that, that you're obedient even when your employer isn't standing over your shoulder. You're externally obedient. You're doing what you're supposed to do, even though he may not or she may not even be there. Then there is an internal obedience. He says, 
you are also to be obedient internally with a sincere heart. Do you catch that? As you would Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, God is interested not only in your external obedience, but in your internal obedience. He's interested in your obedience from the heart. He wants you to be sincere in heart. He wants you to obey at the heart level. Listen, to, to, to be externally obedient but internally disobedient is to be irreverent to Christ. It is to be irreverent to Christ. Again, just as much as we're trying to target our child's heart to, to draw them into that place of internal obedience, God is trying to draw you into the same place to be obedient in certain circumstances in this particular relationship, in the employee-employer relationship. And check it out. There's a reward for it. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. If you are an obedient bondservant or a free person, listen, then you will receive back from the Lord that which you give out. He's going to bless what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're free. He will bless your obedience. That's what he's saying. Maybe it comes in the way of a promotion. Maybe it comes in the way of a, 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 you know, some recognition, you know, employee of the month, whatever it might be. And our response is always what? Thank you, Lord, right? Because that's where it comes from. Don't forget that. But, but he's going to bless you in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's a monetary bonus. God will bless those who obey his word. One of my favorite parts of the gladiator movie, I have to put that in here, is, is the part at the beginning where the Maximus says this. He says, you know, um, where's my note at? What we do in life echoes into eternity. It's true. What you do in life echoes into eternity, both good and bad, both. The Lord keeps account of all. He knows and if you're being obedient to what he's calling you to do in this situation, he will bless you not just simply here and now, but also into eternity because he, 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 he keeps track of these things. There's a reward for those who are obedient. Now he, goes, he moves on here to the employer. As with fathers, there's two commands, a negative and a positive. First, we look at the positive. Look at what it says there in verse 9. Masters. Do the same to them. Do the same to them? What does that mean? Do the exact same thing that they're called to do to you. You do that to them. Wait a second. I thought I was the one in authority here. I thought I could do whatever I wanted. No. You're called to do the exact same thing they're called to do to you. You're called to bless them as they bless you. To help them as they help you. You see, God isn't, doesn't put somebody in authority to lord it over, but he calls you to come alongside. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he became what? Servant of all. He became servant of all. An employer, a manager, whatever the case might be, he ought to be the servant of every one of his employees. He ought to be willing to do whatever it is that he's asking them to do. That's what Jesus did. Called to do the same thing. Do the same thing to them. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. What's, this, what's that called? 
It's called the golden rule. You've heard of it, right? He's saying operate by the golden rule. Not, not the one that says he who has the gold rules. That's not the golden rule in the Bible. That's the golden rule in the world. But the golden rule in the Bible is do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, right? That is the golden rule. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul's saying. Doesn't matter what, what, where, what your rank is, you know, but you're called to do the same to them, to bless them that way. As to the Lord, how would you manage Jesus? You ever thought about that? You, you are managing Jesus, by the way. Somebody in your, somebody, if you're a manager, you, you're, you have some authority somewhere, you're managing Jesus somewhere. Somebody is a Christian somewhere, and you're managing them. How are you managing Jesus? Imagine Jesus being your employee. How would you manage him? Would you change some things? Then change them. And don't continue to, you know, treat them in ways that you wouldn't treat Jesus because they're his people. Maybe not his children yet, but there's creation and he loves them. So you too, beware. There's a negative command here, verse 9b, and stop threatening them. This command holds the idea of not throwing your weight and authority around. Do what, do you know who I am? You know, I can make or break you. Anybody ever said that to you? I've had, I had one friend of mine tell me, uh, you know, he went into his, uh, to his like whatever annual review or something, and his boss was telling him, well, you know, uh, I, I have the power to give you authority or not, and this guy looked him straight in the eyes. I mean, I probably wouldn't have done this, but he said, no, you don't. My, my pay raises come from the Lord, not from you. Oh, <laughs> okay. I don't know if he got a raise. I Probably not, but you know what? Hey, praise the Lord. He understands that all things come from the Lord. But, but the point is this. The point is what, what he's saying here is don't threaten. Don't try and use your authority in a way that makes you bigger than you really are. Understand. Even, God can even use unbelievers in this way in your life. Right, if you're sitting under somebody, he can he can still apply this. And there are great, there are great managers that aren't believers, folks. I've worked for people that weren't believers that are really great managers. That's because God has put that innate understanding in people. He it's embedded in your DNA to do the right things, although the flesh is warring with the spirit and all of that. God puts some understanding in you. There are more people in the world. They're just not redeemed. They need Jesus, right? Stop your threatening. Don't threaten your employees. Is that how you would treat Jesus? How would you treat Jesus? Don't misuse the authority that you've been given. Use it wisely and sparingly. And again, the best way to lead is what? By example. Lead by example. This brings us to the why. Draw your attention to the rest of nine there knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Any good master or employer knows that there is somebody they are responsible to. Everybody reports to somebody. And in this case, you may be the top of the ladder, but you're reporting to somebody else. His name is Jesus. You know, you might be the supreme authority on the horizontal, but there is a supreme authority far more supreme than you on the vertical. 
And he's saying, you, you better treat them the way I would because God is the giver of authority and he doesn't want us to wield our authority incorrectly. He puts, he puts you know, evil rulers in place as much as he puts good rulers in place. Why does he do that? Because he has a plan and he knows what he's doing and we can trust him with that. But here's the thing. Understand that there is one authority in heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus Christ, and there is no partiality with him. There's no partiality. He doesn't treat anybody differently than anyone else. Listen, the Bible says he, he, he here, let me just put it into terms you might understand. So he loved you when you were at your worst, but he doesn't love you any more today than he did when you were at your worst. You understand that? Like Jesus loved you with the same love that he has for you right now, and maybe you're on this side of the cross and you're going to heaven and you know, you're redeemed and you're living for the Lord, that's great. But your love, his love for you never changed. It was the same from day to day. From the point you were unredeemed to the point you were redeemed, he loved you the same. There's no partiality with him. Yes, he, he appoints people to different uh, positions because we are all in one body, but we're not all the same members. Are, we're not all, you know, there's different parts of the body. There are fingers and toes and there's legs and there's arms and there's eyeballs and ears and mouths and noses. And you're one of those things. God's not saying, well, man, the ears, they're just so much lesser than the mouth. No, there's no partiality. He doesn't, he doesn't view you differently than he does anyone else. It's an amazing thing, something we need to learn. Something that we, we need to ask God to help us with because that is one of those fleshly things that we are partial. We do treat people dependent upon what? How they treat us. We, we do step outside of the way that the Lord calls us to, to live because we're, if we're walking in the flesh, because we have no ability to do this in the flesh. Listen, if you want to be the husband or the wife that you're called to be, then you need to operate under the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you want to be the child or the parent that you're called to be, then you need to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and filling you, overflowing you on a daily basis. If you want to be the employee or the employer that you're called to be, the bondservant or the master, right? you better not try to do that in your own flesh. It's impossible for you to. You'll mess it up. But if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to do these things. And God will bless that. So really, at the end of the day, this is a call all the way back to, to, to Ephesians chapter 5, and I think it's verse 17. It's a call to be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not the verse. I don't know where it is, but it's in there somewhere. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We understand the importance of it. If you want to walk submissively, you need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it starts with this, folks. One step of being obedient to the Lord. Asking for a filling of the Holy Spirit. And then repenting. If, there's, if, if you're not living right in any of these relationships today... The Lord's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to say, hey, Lord, you know what? You're Lord, I'm not. Today, I want to submit to you in these relationships that I'm dealing with on the, on the horizontal. I understand that you have put this, this structure in place. 
and I want to fall in rank today. I want to be submissive to you out of reverence for you. And I want, to be, I want to do that in the marriage relationship. I want to do that in the family relationship. I want to do that in the employment relationship. And the Lord's really calling you to examination this morning. In all of these relationships that we live out on the horizontal, again, and the first step is, is coming to the Lord and you know, acknowledging who you are before him and asking him to forgive you, turning away from your sin and asking him to empower you then to live the life that he's calling you to live. Amen? Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word, and what a lot of information to go over this morning, Lord. We're thankful for the detail of your word that helps us in every human relationship that we'll have. And we understand, Lord, that there is a principle here that will, that will apply in every human relationship, in friendship, in family, in marriage, in employee, employer relationship. Lord, we thank you. We ask you this morning, Lord, to examine our heart. Father, we ask you to just take a peek inside of us this morning. Help us to know, Lord, if there's things that we need to change. As we spoke of this morning, Lord, of the child-parent relationship. If I'm a child here today, Lord, and I'm not being obedient to my father and my mother, I'm not honoring them the way that I should, would you help me to do that? Would you just change my heart towards them, Lord, would you help me not to be conditional in my response to them, but just be obedient to your word this morning? And as a father, God, we ask that you would help each and every father in this place, Lord, to not wield over their authority over their children, provoking them, stirring them up to anger, Lord. May you help us, God, to be trainers, discipline help us to discipline our children and train them up in the ways that they should go, Lord. And if we're missing the mark in this area, God, would you forgive and would you help us to be strengthened by your spirit today just to begin to take those steps, Lord. And finally, God, we ask you if there, each and every person here has, fits into that role of employee or employer. We just ask you this morning, God, to help us to live rightly in that relationship. If we're the employee to obey what we're called to do, to understand that we're, it's far bigger, Lord, than our rights. It's far bigger than our, how we feel about what's being asked of us, Lord. We're called to represent you. We are ambassadors of Christ. So would you help us, Lord, this morning? to be good ambassadors, to represent you well in the workplace, to be obedient to our managers and do what we're asked to do and not, not with a bad heart, Lord, be rejoicing in all that you're doing there because you placed us there. And Father, if we're managing people, God, that we would, we would manage them as we would manage you. Lord, if we need to ask our employees for forgiveness today, Lord, and May we do that. May we go back on Monday morning and just be open and transparent and say, hey, man, I haven't been treating you right. Will you forgive me? Again, it's an example. And we understand that the authority that we've been given, Lord, is something that we ought not take for granted. So we ask you in every one of these human relationships, Lord, to just help us to examine, Lord, and just to respond to your spirit. And we ask for an overflowing of your spirit even now. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.